The gospel story really is a simple story. And for many churches, many people, whatever, they teach that you have to know the seven things and the ten things. You got it. You know, like the, the gospel story is actually pretty simple. And so that's what we're doing in this series, in this little series that we're going to be doing before Christmas, is we're looking at each of those circles. And this, we're calling it the three circles. Last week, if you were here, you heard us talk about that first circle. What was that first circle? God's design. Okay, And last week we talked about how God designed this place. That it was not just a bunch of random acts and uh, just chance or whatever, like the science books. you got kids over here that are in school learning from science books now that, you know, hundreds of billions of years ago, this ramen noodle soup became, you know, man somehow. That there was this weird chance and these things all kind of came together. Um, but the reality is the Bible says that God designed us, that God designed the world, the moon, the stars, the trees, the animals, that He designed us for a purpose. And so, if you're going to share this presentation with someone, if you're going to tell someone that, that God designed the world in a certain way, you've actually got to believe that. And so that's what we did last week, is looked at the Bible and came to Genesis and looked at what did the Bible say about God's design? What did... What did it say about him, you know, designing this world and humans and, and how did that all come about? And so that's what we did last week. We kind of talked about the difference between purposeful design and just random chance. Um, and we looked at those things um, because we have to know what the scripture says if we're going to believe it. And we've got to believe it if we're going to share with someone that those are those are true things. So today what we're going to do is we're going to move to circle number um, two. So that was God's design. Today we're going to move to the circle of brokenness. Now, if you were a preacher, um, and I know some of you are preachers, if you were going to share a message on sin and brokenness, um, what's maybe one verse that, that you know that deals with sins? Anyone know? I think I know if anyone says any verse, I think I know what you're going to say. Does anyone know a verse that deals with sin in the Bible? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many of you have heard that one before? That's Romans 3.23. I threw that up there because I figured if anyone knew any verse about sin, that would be the verse. Because that's the most famous verse dealing with sin and brokenness. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're going to come back to that one because I knew, I knew if I asked that question that one would be addressed. But what I want for us to do before we really dig into Romans 3.23 is I want for us to go back to the beginning and look at that first sin back to Genesis again. Many of the times that we're looking at Scripture in this series are going to be going back to Genesis to look at the origin of these things, of God's design and the origin of sin. So turn to Genesis. If you're new to the Bible, it's the very, very first book of your Bible. It should be in some of the first few pages. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. I want for us to look at the account here just really quickly of the, of the creation of man. And we're not going to get all that because we talked about that last week. But I want for us to look at what happens here. What is God's, what are His instructions? How does it all go down? Uh, because if we're going to tell someone that sin is a reality and that we're all sinners, that we all fall short, well, whose fault is that? Okay, we need to kind of look at some of those things. Genesis 2, chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, says this. I've got it up on the screen for you. If you've got a smartphone, you can follow along also on the, 
um, on your iPhone or Android or whatever, we've got the uh, version Bible app, the event going uh, live right now as well. It says this, And the Lord God took the man. So at this point, He had already created the man. Okay? So the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. This is part of our design. We were designed to be gardeners. We talked about that last week. Do you remember? That was our, our original design. Was we, were to be, we were to be gardeners. That was our job. To subdue the world. To take care of it. To do the things that, that needed, to, needed to happen in order to make this world a better place. This was our design. Verse 16, Then the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. We could stop right there and it would have been awesome. Okay? From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Verse 17, But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. So the big idea here is that God gives Adam the run of the land. Gives them open range to do whatever you want, really. You can do whatever you want in this garden. It's yours. Have at it. Right? Just don't what? Don't eat from that tree. One rule. Okay? One rule. Do whatever you want to do here. Just don't eat from that tree. I mean, as you think about it, I mean, it's crazy to have such an open invitation to rule the world, to garden it, to make this place his own. There's just one rule. Just don't touch that tree. I mean, and they, I mean, Adam had a naked woman there, right? Like, that, I wouldn't be looking at no trees, right? I'm looking at the chick over here. Like, I mean, think about the reality of the situation. He's got everything, right? One simple rule. Don't touch the tree. Can any of you parents relate to this? Your kids have 768 toys, right? You, you know, mo- many parents can relate to this, that you, you tell your kid, like all of you, I know all of you parents have that one rule. Whatever that rule is, you have it. Do not touch my painting on the wall, right? Do not eat in my car. How many of you have the one rule? Nobody. Some of you. And if you're willing to share that one rule, one rule, like, we all have that one rule, right? Like our kids, you, you let them free. You, they have the run of the house. They can do whatever they want. You say, do not eat my Oreos, right? Like that's the one rule. Don't, you know, don't bring your friends in the house. What, we all have like, you know, parents have that one rule. And what happens? 767 other toys. And what do they want to do? They want to do whatever you told them not to do, Right? It's in our blood. It's in our, let's, it's in our blood. Forbid, you ever heard of forbidden fruit? That's the tree. That's, that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is in our blood, folks. We want what we can't have. Eat, listen, men, think about this naked woman there, right? Like, come on, are you going to worry about a tree? Have you got that there? Come on. But there was a draw to it. It's in our blood. Genesis 3.6. Look at what happens. It says this. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took, she took from it 
from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Right? One rule, bro. One rule. You couldn't even... You, you got, like a lot of parents, you know what's happening here. Like, you get it. You've been on the other end of it. Like, you, I just told you one, just to do one chore. Like, all week, you had to do one thing. Couldn't do it, right? Like, that's... It's in our blood. We see it here. Now, as you think about it, as, as you look at the story, the, the back story is Eve wasn't interested. She doesn't show, at least in the text here, she doesn't show any interest in this tree... Until who comes into the scene? Do we know? Do you know the backstory? Until the serpent, until the evil one comes. There was really for Eve no interest in this tree. She knew that she wasn't supposed to, so it was not a big deal. We've got all this other stuff. We have all these other blessings. She wasn't even interested in the tree until the evil one, Satan, comes into the picture and says, "Hey, what about that tree? Right? What about that tree over there?" And she's like, "No." Nah, we're not allowed to touch it. No, it's not. And he's like, are you sure? You sure that's what God said? And he begins to what? Confuse her a little bit. Begins to tempt her. Look at that tree. It looks so good. It looks so delicious. Surely God wouldn't want to prevent you from eating that tree, right? And he tempts her and he draws her attention to the tree. He leads her to the tree and... Puts thoughts in her brain, and what? She eats. It wasn't even a consideration for her before the evil one was on the scene. Every single one of us, okay, is a sinner. That's what Romans three twenty three says. And in this encounter, in this encounter between uh, Adam and Eve in this tree. Their sin, first disobedience to God, the first sin, there was now a separation. There was consequences to eating that fruit. There was now this separation between God and man. Remember we talked about last week? Now, all of a sudden, they are feeling what? Shame and guilt. Those are things that have never been experienced before in this world. Shame and guilt. Then all of a sudden, shame and guilt are on the scene. Because they had disobeyed God's command, the one command. And there's a separation now. God's walking through the garden. He's like, where are you at? Where were they? Hiding. There's now a separation between man and God because of that first disobedience. And so we can look back on it, but Romans 3.23 says that we're all sinners. We've all sinned. And we can point our finger and say, come on, you idiots, right? We can point our finger at Adam and Eve and say, y'all suckers, you killed it for us. You ruined that for us. The reality is, though, if you look at your life, I know that as I look at my life, I don't need Adam and Eve to help me sin. I do just fine on my own sinning, right? If you think about, if you're real with yourself, if if you're transparent, You don't need to point your finger back at Adam and Eve because you've got enough sin that you deal with on your own. You don't need any help. It's the reality. We are sinners living in a broken world. Sometimes I'll share Romans 3.23 with a person like, 
someone comes into my office, whatever, we're talking about sin, maybe it's someone that doesn't really believe at all or whatever, and I ask them, how do they respond to Romans 3.23? For all sin and false story of the glory of God. And they say, well, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I, I, I do okay. I'm not like, I don't murder people, right? I, that's, uh, I don't know, as a pastor, I always get that. That's the first thing. Well, I've never killed anybody. For some reason, that is like the number one of all people. I never killed anyone. Okay, well, maybe you have, according to Jesus, as we look at some of those. Now, what I normally do is I take people to the Ten Commandments. Because a lot of people, even if you're not really churched, you kind of, you've heard of the Ten Commandments. You know those are kind of the basics, right? Those are like the, the basics, right? And what I'll say to someone is I say, well, let's do a test. Okay, there's Ten Commandments. Each point, you, you guys are all from school, you boys, you're taking tests, right? You're doing things. So each, each question is worth 10%. Like, let's just, on ourselves, let's look at these. We're going to start at the bottom, okay? We're going to see, just kind of in your brain, if any of us pass this test, okay? So, uh, number 10 is do not covet. Somebody tell me what that means. It's kind of a weird word. Somebody tell me what it means to covet. Yes, Emmy. To want something, but it's a little bit more than that. Want something that's not yours, that someone else is. Good. Some, anyone else have an addition to that? Yeah, to feel ill willings towards them, to say, to be jealous that someone has something. Right? To look at something and say, man, I really want that, and that is your focus, and that's your aim, and that person has that, and you start feeling, well, well, they're just a jerk, they're a turd, how come they get to have that and I don't? Like, have any of you ever coveted before? Yeah, okay, so I'm 0 for 10, okay? Zero. Uh, nine, do not lie. Have you ever told a lie? Has anyone ever not told a lie? You're a liar. <laughs> right, now you just lied, bro. So we're 0 for 2. You should not steal. Has anyone never stolen it? Even the smallest thing. Like, God doesn't care if you steal a car or you steal a, a smencil at school, right? A smencil, for you old folks, are pencils that smell. They smell now. Kind of cool. Selling them for fundraiser. Anyone want one? I'll hook you up. Um, so, I've lied. Yeah, I've lied. Emmy? I have not stolen I, You're a liar, though, I guarantee you. So, how do I know that you're not lying about that? Hmm. Hmm. Right. So, come on. Even as a kid, you didn't like take something that wasn't yours, right? Doesn't matter whether you're young, old, right? So, see, ask your sister. She knows. Like, so for most of us, for most of us, we're over three, right? This is the basics, y'all. The basics. So, at, right now, even if we get the rest right, we're only at seventy percent. And if you're in the Crane District, 70% is failing. Come on now, right? Number seven, you shall not what? What is it? You shall not commit adultery. Ooh, that's the, ooh watch out now. Oh, i never done that, right? Oh, now my wife, see, I'm not going to... Right. Listen, you know what Jesus said? Jesus says, to look at a woman and to lust after her is to have committed adultery with her already. Okay, sorry. I'm guilty. Guilty. Do not murder. Ooh, well, I, how many of you ever murdered anyone? Mm, don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. No, but seriously, like, Jesus also said that same exchange. Like, to have hatred in your brother. Uh, to have hatred for your brother is to have already killed them. 
So, if you ever hated anyone so bad, you're like, all right? Yeah. Sorry, guilty. So, even in the first five, we go, right? I don't even need to go to the rest. Do you ever need to disobey your parents? Yeah, bad. Uh, you ever, Sabbath day, you ever not really made church an important thing in your life? You ever just go, I'm not really going to go to church today? Yeah. Guilty. You ever cursed before? Guilty. You ever had something in your life that was that was more important than God, like a like an item, like a car, like a Barbie, like a cell phone, like a whatever? Yeah, like all of these folks, all of even in the most basics, we're failing. Okay, and that's what I try to tell someone. So when I have a conversation with someone, I say, "So you mean to tell me if someone covets, what do you call them? You call them a coveter." If someone lies, what do you call them? A liar. If someone steals, what do you call them? A thief. If someone uh, commits adultery, what do you call them? An adulterer. So what you're telling me is you're a living, thieving, adulterous, murderous person and you think God's going to let you into His kingdom? Right? right? Absolutely. Right? Praise God for that, Emmy. Praise God that through the lens of Jesus... And His forgiveness in our uh, in our hearts that God sees us as righteous, right? But without that lens of Jesus Christ, we are doomed, y'all. We are doomed. We are living in brokenness. Just the reality. All of us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all broken. Now, the Bible is clear. The test is clear. Common sense is clear that we are surrounded by sin and brokenness. All you gotta do is turn on the news. Okay? Turn on the news. Read the newspaper. Yeah. We are surrounded by brokenness. And it's, it's just one of those things that as we, as we look at this, um, this thing here, you see these squiggly lines? These represent the ways that we try to deal with our brokenness. Because ultimately, we, come, we normally come to a place in our lives when we realize that we're broken. And we begin trying to fix that brokenness. And some of us try really hard, and others of us just give up. And others of us do different things. We all come to a place in our lives when we realize that we're broken. Teenagers... Most of the time, when they realize that they are living in brokenness, we'll look for validation. We all look for validation when we realize we're broken. Teenagers will look for validation in many things. Some of these guys are playing football in school, and, and you know they're, they're looking for validation on the football field. Look at me, I'm strong. Look at me, I'm fast. Coach, they're, they're looking for that validation, trying to win a state title to feel accomplished, right? Whether it's on the wrestling mat or the football field or whatever, Teenagers will look for validation in sports. Or a girl will look for validation in dating the most popular boy in school or whatever. Or the guy that has a job and has a cool car, he'll look for validation in everyone being jealous of his car. Like it's brokenness begins to try to work its way, begin to try to fix our brokenness by achieving things, being validated by our achievements or where we get to go to college or the scholarships we get or the money that we make, or whatever, as we're adults, the, the arena of fixing our brokenness turns to the bar scene, or our workplace, 
we're trying to you know, make more money than the people around us. We try to buy a bigger house to validate ourselves or fix that brokenness. Or we try to get married because that's going to fix our brokenness. Or we go to the bar and we try to drink it away or sleep it away or whatever. We all in our lives, when we become broken, we begin to try to fix that brokenness in a bunch of different ways. We try to fix the brokenness through snorting something or eating something or sleeping with someone or drinking something or partying or whatever we do, we begin to try to fix that brokenness and heal it in our own way. And some of those, some of those pathways are good things and some of those pathways are bad things, but ultimately a person, when they come to realize that they are broken and there's nothing that they can do to fix it, not enough, you can't earn enough money, you can't go to this thing enough, you can't do enough community sports or things like that, you come to a point in your life and you realize that you're broken and the only way that you'll be saved from that brokenness is through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that's the Gospel story. It is true for all of us here. Now where you stand in that could be different in here. Maybe some of you, so far you've responded. You know that you're broken and you've given your heart to Christ. You've tried all of these ways to, to fix the brokenness and it's never been fixed. And, and maybe for some of you, it's time today to give your heart to Christ to finally get healing of that brokenness. Maybe for others, you've already done that. You've already walked down the path. You've already given Jesus your heart and He's healed you. And you look back on the brokenness and you say, thank God, like Emmy said, thank God I'm now seen through the lens of Jesus Christ. That that brokenness has been taken care of for me. If you're a believer in Jesus, I want you to think back to, and maybe some of you have been believers for a long time, I want you to think back to your state of brokenness. Many of us, we're in the lowest points of our life when we finally gave our hearts to Jesus. When we finally said, okay, Jesus, I can't do this anymore. I'm hurt. I'm broken. I've got nowhere else to go. I want you to think back to that point in your life. If you're not a believer in Jesus, maybe, maybe you're in the middle of that brokenness right now. And I want you to think back to that because I want you to think about the houses that surround us here, right here in, at the school. There's a bunch of houses behind us and just off over here and over here and a bunch of houses there. And I want you to think about the brokenness that exists in those homes. The brokenness that exists right around us. Now, we have this little shelter here on Sunday morning at 10 a.m., but the reality is that we are surrounded by absolute, horrible Brokenness. Think of the homes that are filled with lies. Constantly husband and wife lying to each other about what's really happening with the relationships or finances or whatever. Think of the addiction that surrounds us here. Think of the poverty that surrounds us here. Think of the homes that the kids are always home by themselves because mom and dad have to work four jobs just to keep food on the table and so the kids feed themselves, take care of themselves. Think of all of the crazy domestic violence. Think of all of the crazy stuff that happens right around us. Listen, it happens in your neighborhood too. Because brokenness, okay, does not discriminate. Brokenness does not care what kind of 
earnings you make. Brokenness does not care what kind of skin color you have, what language you speak, whether you're high social class or low social class. Brokenness does not care whether you have a college degree or you've never graduated high school. Listen, brokenness is everywhere around us in this city, not just in this neighborhood. It is everywhere. Every one of your neighbors, every one of the people that you go to work with, to school with, we are surrounded with brokenness. And listen, Christians are supposed to be a light in that brokenness. The light of Christ to the brokenness around them. That's what Ecclesia is called to be in this neighborhood. Thank God that we know the solution to the brokenness, don't we? Thank God that we have the solution to that brokenness. Who is that solution? Jesus, come on now. Who is that solution? Right? Like, like He's the solution to that brokenness. And I'm going to take you back to Ephesians. I always take you back to Ephesians because that for me is like this, this anchor text for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. It says this, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the Spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. So those first verses are saying, we were broken. Sons of disobedience, pursuing the lust of the flesh, trespasses and sin. Listen, we were broken. And then, my favorite word in the whole Bible, but, we've got a big sign in the back that says, we love big buts, right? We love big buts of the Gospel. Not B-U-T-T-S, not these buts, but the but of the Gospel, right? The but of the Gospel. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, but God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. That's the... That's the best verse right there. Verse 5. Let me read it again. Even when we were dead in our, trans- in our, when, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you've been saved. Isn't that amazing? That even though we were broken, even though we were sons of disobedience, even though we did things that disobeyed God's law, that did, we did all of those things, He still came to save us. Verse 6, And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And then this, you guys all know this verse, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. We were once broken and now we're healed. 
If you are a believer in Jesus, this letter, this, this letter to the Ephesians was written to people who are believers in Jesus. He's saying you were once broken and now you've been healed. Amen. That's what he's saying. If you're a believer in Jesus, you were once broken and now you've been healed. Amen. We know the solution to the brokenness around us. The solution is Jesus Christ. And what we've been talking about here at Ecclesia is in 2018, we want to now go and share what we've experienced together. Share this experience with the people that live right around us. And that's what the Posada was all about. People from the neighborhood coming. Being able to introduce ourselves to them. Share with them. Maybe them come to church. Maybe them don't. Maybe we go and, and continue to do these events, these, these engage events that we were talking about on the second and fourth Sundays of a month. Going into the neighborhoods and sharing the gospel through events and parties and fun and all those different things. So my hope and my prayer is that you will, as a believer in Jesus, be ready to go and share the solution to the brokenness. We are surrounded by it, friends. You are surrounded by it where you live and where you work and where you go to school. This church is surrounded by brokenness. Let's go into the places right around us and share the solution, which is Jesus Christ. So the not, let, the not yet list, which is right here, I really want you to take part in this because this is the list of people that you know that are broken, that have never received Jesus as their Savior, that are still living in that state of brokenness. And we want to be praying for them. So I, I don't want this just to be a decoration. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, I don't want it just to sit up here and for you to look at it and, oh, yeah, that's cool. But I want you to come by. Maybe before service every Sunday and, and just look at it and just pray over you. Maybe you pray every single name. Take you a while. It really doesn't. It only takes you like, I don't know, a minute and a half to say every name on this, which I did the other day. Um, or maybe you choose one or two names and you pray for them. But we want to see these people on this list be rescued from the brokenness that they're living in. Okay? And we believe that through prayer and engaging them with the gospel in the neighborhoods, that God can do a mighty work in their life. He's done a mighty work in your life, so now let's go and share what He's done in your life with them. Let's go and see what happens there. So that's the brokenness piece of the, um, of the three circles challenge. So next week we're going to talk about the gospel, which is the, the last part that we just shared. We're going to spend most of our time um, there on that. Ladies, you can come forward and then